0: what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at voiceamericatrn. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back to the program. This is Joe Schuldenrein, and this is another episode in our series, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We're going to explore a new venue today. Uh, It's the first time that we are actually trying to develop an interchange between ourselves here at the station and the listenership uh... we uh, solicited a number of q and a's through social media which is the first time i've done this uh... certainly since i started the show and more generally uh getting involved with social media and interacting with the general audience about issues that are of their concern. Uh, The program launched, as many of you know, nearly about half a year ago, and uh, we have furnished what we thought were provocative discussions on archaeology and related topics. But uh, aside from a number of emails and a variety of different uh, exchanges that we've had with people who have actually been very interested and contacted us by phone, and uh, through my internet site, we have not really interacted ex- extensively with the stu- with the audience, and so uh, we posted a number of announcements, and we got quite a bit of exchanges and a, quite a bit of interest in a variety of topics that we had actually anticipated but not specifically known about so the the topics are variable they're far ranging they're very provocative and they've actually caused us to do some thinking as to how we are communicating our message of archaeology to uh... the general public most importantly and also to some degree to uh... the professional audience as well and i think the professional audience has a lot more to gain from this because they're starting to see what archaeological topics are of interest to the broader public because very often archaeologists are used to talking amongst themselves and, and that's of course a very insular type of operation and we don't get a lot of interaction with other folks because of the nature of any kind of a scientific endeavor. If you don't communicate it to the public, you're really sort of uh, locking yourself in your own shell and, and, and not getting the benefit of, of, impa- of uh, feedback. And so we're trying to rectify that situation. So what I'd like to do today is answer a couple of questions, a number of questions that we found Found that were especially provocative and uh, items that, that we should always th- we should think about as we move forward. And I think we're going to try to. Move along on this theme of getting uh, a contact with with the audience as we roll along here and as we develop more programs, the other benefit of that of course, is we can start to program and plan our our shows with the stud- with the listenership involved and uh, actually anticipating the types of things we 're going to produce because they have tremendous interests that we can certainly supply uh, as long as we know that there 's a demand for the topic so without uh, Any further ado, um, let's go back to a topic that actually was sort of the springboard for the show, which is, of course, Indiana Jones' myth, reality, and 21st century archaeology. And uh, Mr. David Connolly wrote us, what do you think about the tendency to romanticize the profession, archaeology, by Hollywood, and how does that affect real professional archaeologists? And the second part to the question, is it possible for an archaeologist to tell their stories and discoveries without mystifying them in order to make them more attractive for the general public? Now, uh, the, these are very provocative questions. I think we started to address that in the pilot episode um, where we talked about the uh, influence of um, Indiana Jones on the profession. And for those of you who missed it, um, my response and the response of, of my guest was that uh, Indiana Jones basically catapulted interest in archaeology to uh, a degree that we could not have anticipated. And uh, it, it just provoked so much interest. And created such a stir that archaeologists themselves didn't know how to digest it because by and large, even though what we do is is considered by many people to be very interesting, very exciting, we really didn't know that well how to communicate our message to the public because, as I said before, we do a lot of uh, communication amongst ourselves and and Indiana Jones film uh, just raised everybody's interest and raised the interest of the people who do archaeology and raised the of people who read about it more casually rather than professionally. And the professionals professionals themselves uh, had, had very strong reactions as well. The, uh, the real issue and I think one of the issues that uh, complicated everything was the fact that the archaeologists themselves looked at the movie and they said this is just, glam, this is just a glam job and uh, it really doesn't reflect anything as to what archaeologists do because archaeologists don't run around in snake pits and they don't uh, get chased by monsters and, and, and by, uh, by warring tribes as a rule. On the other hand, the interest in archaeology from a broad group of of the general population was so huge that we felt that we really had to uh, address address the myths, we had to address the realities and uh, we had to begin to approach an audience that we really hadn't dealt with before. And a lot of students went into the classroom and, and uh, asked, asked professors, is it really like that? And, of course, the professors now had a new springboard from which to begin discussion of archaeology, and they started to explain really what it is. And, of course, archaeology really is a lot about science, and it's a lot about uh, really very contemporary types of detective work, as many of you have seen in the programs that we've discussed. I mean, It's a lot of very rigorous academic uh training it involves a very very sophisticated level of uh academic study and it spans a number of fields as we've discussed but but the real the real impact of the films and the real impact of the story uh of the stories that that, that were very very uh, vividly portrayed in hollywood was that this is something that is of interest and once you see what the interest is, in other words, once you get a segue into the profession, then you start learning about the nuts and bolts of it. And we found that many, many students and a lot of the public itself, uh, once the hype wore down, they were very, very interested in it. A lot of people didn't really know how much archaeology was being done in America, for example, North America, South America, and the New World. Generally, everybody had traditionally assumed that, that archaeology was about uh, – about Mesopotamia, about ancient Egypt, and and about well, to South America certainly the Incas and the, the the Mesoamerican cultures, and of course that's very true. But in North America, we also have a very very extensive record of archaeology. And once we started bringing that to the attention of people because they were so aware of it through the movies, there was a, a tremendous amount of interest in it. And uh, all of a sudden, um, the the public's a thirst for archaeology was stimulated at the same time, as I indicated in the earlier programs. This was coincident with the development of laws for uh, archaeological protection and the preservation of resources um, for, for the future. And uh, again, this was the 1980s when the Indiana Jones films came out, and there was an increased awareness – of uh, the the need to preserve resources, both natural and cultural. And, of course, archaeology was starting to be conceived of as a cultural resource and a resource that was finite and was very possibly uh, a resource that would disappear if we did not take care to preserve it. One of the very beneficial outcomes of this convergence of archaeological interest through the movies and the preservation movement is that we were actually able to bring together some Hollywood people and make them aware of the fact that archaeology was uh, was a finite resource and that there was a need to preserve. And, uh, one of the most important elements and one of the most important developments in the preservation movement was the enlistment actually of Harrison Ford, who was the star of the Indiana Jones movie, to make some commercials in support of preservation and against looting or pot hunting and, uh, the, the destruction of archaeological sites and he took a lot of time and was involved with a lot of archaeologists to develop sort of an ethos, an ethic for preservation that was a springboard for what's going on today, where there's a very, very acute awareness amongst a lot of interests, including developers and people who build across the landscape, that archaeology has to be preserved much as natural resources um, and, and the environment, rather, it needs to be preserved. And so archaeology is now wrapped in To uh, the regulatory process, and even though it's a bit under assault in this uh, in this day and age, um, there is nevertheless a mentality of preservation that has been in effect now since, uh, well, formally since the mid-60s, but certainly has been accelerated since the mid-1980s when the movie came out. And uh, it, it, it's just done wonders for uh, for reinforcing that ethic, and we have Hollywood to thank for that. Now, the downside of that is, of course, that archaeology isn't performed quite in the way that Harrison Uh, Ford performed it. But again, I would, I would argue that that's just a minor point here because once people's interest in archaeology is aroused, it's up to the professional community to stimulate and cultivate that interest and to really break it down into its real components. And, uh, right now, I have seen uh, in some of the classes that I have taught or in some of the seminars that I've been involved in that that kids come in kind of green. But once they understand what archaeology really is as, as sort of a day-to-day operation, they're quite interested in it as well. So uh, the long and the short of it is I think that Hollywood has had a tremendously positive effect on it. Uh, I'm sure a lot of my colleagues will object to that, but I I certainly don't uh, think that it's – the positive elements outweigh the negative incredibly. And we've brought in very sophisticated and developed uh, – sophisticated young minds, and we have developed – a cadre of students who were weaned on the Indiana Jones films and have pursued it, pursued the the profession and all of its scientific rigor to a large degree and have become very, very good scientists as a result of that. And most of them are not ashamed to say that they were attracted to the profession because of these films. And uh, on that note, I think we're going to take a break and uh, we will be back shortly and entertain a few more questions. Thank you.
2: Explore the power and beauty in yourself and in others. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Every week, Stacey Stern will connect you with men and women who are living and working from a place of passion. Stacey's guests include successful authors, filmmakers, actors, experts, and leaders. You'll hear what inspires each of them, and you'll be turned on to great films, books, and new media. Tune in to The Stacey Stern Show, enriching you. Tuesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel.
0: Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra Now, back to the program. Can you do-
1: this is Joe Schulte, Ryan, and we're back to our program, Myth, uh, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. As I indicated, this is somewhat of a departure from our general format, and what we have been trying to do is to get uh, as much I- feedback as we can from the general public and to some degree from the professional audience to uh, establish a series of topics that we, we uh, f- that the readership would find provocative and worthy of discussion. So we opened it up, and uh, by the miracle of social networking, which I will readily admit that I'm not an expert in, but fortunately I have people on my staff who've guided me through it, we have been able to post a variety of messages asking for input, and people have responded, and we're getting a series of questions that folks are interested in having us answer and direct them to sources that uh, they can pursue their own interest with respect to that. And we're just entertaining a number of these questions and I'm trying to answer them as as carefully as possible. Um, One of the questions that uh, I've gotten here is a very interesting post Uh, and it reads as follows from a Mr. Juan Rivera. I was reading an interview on archaeology uh, by the professor uh, William G. Deaver, and he briefly mentioned how antiquity ads encourage illegal trade in antiquities. What is your view? Uh, Of course, Dr. Uh, William Deaver is a specialist in biblical and classical archaeology and uh, is very well acquainted with, with these types of issues uh specific, specifically excuse me the question of trade in antiquities and archaeology and antiquities is, are obviously two side uh, the same side of the same coin archaeology is the exploration of culture and the antiquities themselves are the relics of that culture and of course as many of you know um when you uncover the sort of treasures of ancient culture as it is expressed in the popular um, vernacular you expose things that have great value and there is a market obviously uh for relics and whether or not uh this is a legitimate uh, form of marketing and exchange to the greater public is a question that has become a very ethical one in recent years um it it's a very complex issue it is one that really did not surface until about 40 or 50 years ago in any great way um many of you are acquainted with the fact that the uh, the romance of archaeology has uh A a grand history, specifically uh, quests such as the discovery of the pyramids in Egypt, uh, the uncovery of the uh, temples of the Mesoamerica, the uh, treasures of the Andes, uh, that kind of uh, archaeology that is sort of at the edge of myth. And again, has a lot to do with the glamorization of it by Hollywood, but uh, getting back to the antiquities themselves, uh, if you really boil it down, and of course, this is a 21st century perspective when we know so much more and we're, we're certainly uh, much more attuned to, uh, to the global and geopolitical realities. If you look at it from the context of the 21st century, Most of these major archaeological finds were a product of uh, Western um, antiquarians or archaeologists, if they were better trained, going into, in many cases, third world countries and uncovering uh, the vestiges of, of great cultures. That had long been abandoned, digging them up, finding incredible treasure troves, and this, of course, calls to mind uh, Egypt and Sumeria and and Mesoamerica and the Inc- and the Incas in, in, in South America and Peru, and effectively, yes, providing a tremendous wealth of information and knowledge, but by the same token, uh, with impunity, taking these discoveries outside of the countries of origin and uh, putting them in Western museums so that um, they would be displayed to effectively middle-class and, and upper-class people who were very curious about these developments and of course there was a, a very clear academic message that was brought across. But the fact of the matter is that technically and, and, and in the most ethical sense of the word, these findings and these treasures belonged to the countries in which they were found. And so over the past 20, 30 years, there has been a movement amongst archaeologists and governments from many of these countries to develop uh, a relationship that would effectively uh, leave these findings if, if excavations were still going on in the countries from which they were taken and in many cases to actually give back the finds themselves to uh, to museums that had more recently been developed in the countries of origin and where the antiquities had obviously been removed over uh, 50 to 100 years prior to that. And so uh, this is fortunately, I think, uh, being rectified On a case by case basis so that in, in many instances the museums which had housed some of these treasures for many, many years are beginning to develop, to develop relationships between the uh, host countries and return them and also develop uh, relationships with those countries that would allow the uh, artifacts to stay there but the study of those artifacts and the study of those findings and the access to the sites and the excavations themselves to be open to interactive programs between western universities or western development interests and the countries themselves so that the countries such as egypt and uh Iraq to some degree certainly uh um, pre-war and Mexico and China and other developing nations would effectively start to to develop their own scientific programs and uh, interactive research venues were established and so this is this is one of the great developments but in the wake of all of that there remain these incredibly valuable pieces uh that were recovered most of them were recovered years ago because uh looters effectively uh in some cases disguised as archaeologists in some case cases with impunity just simply looting sites uh would go out get this get this loot and uh, market it on a very, very uh, clandestine but nevertheless developed network of traders and these finds would uh, work their way into the collections of rich people, uh, industrialists in many cases, uh, art collectors and uh, there was an entire uh, sort of a cottage industry that developed here, and these items were obviously marketed at 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 very high premiums. And uh, essentially, a lot of people who were considered philanthropists developed their fortunes because of these antiquities. Now, whether or not there's a morality here that we should uh, apply to 50 years ago, that's a whole other question. But the fact of the matter is that in today's sort of ethos, uh, and I think very fortunately uh, we are starting to, st- to think that there has to be a repatriation or a return of these artifacts to their countries of origins so that the nations and the populations from which these uh, cultures emerge can certainly develop a sense of, of their own history and that's being done. But uh, obviously uh, these, these antiquities are being marketed and they're being marketed illegally. And I would argue even that in some of the great museums of, of the Western world, um, the history of the uh, trans tr- uh, of the transport, shall we say, and the the trip from from the uh, excavation to the museum case is dodgy, and we have to be very careful. And yes, we should obviously admire and and we're glad that we can learn about these cultures. But uh, we need to recognize that in many cases, those findings and those artifacts and and, and those incredible works of art reach their final destinations in a not so uh, legal way. And I I think that we're starting to make uh, inroads to that. I think um, countries, governments are starting to crack down on illegal transport of uh, of artifacts, and certainly in the countries in which many of these priceless antiqu- antiquities are uh, derived from, you now have to have a, a, a permit in order to excavate further. And in, in the large majority of these cases, you cannot remove the artifacts from the country which is just as well and uh... again the interaction between universities research institutes and development interest is a good thing It it looks like it's making a tremendous amount of progress and uh... i think we're all the better for it now what we have to do is to develop edu- to develop educational venues on a global scale that will allow us to uh glean the information from these findings in a positive sense and one that, that doesn't involve violation of any indigenous population or nation from which the uh, artifacts have a- actually been derived. And I think we're doing the right thing here. There is still obviously a lot of trafficking, but with time, I think that's going to be, as, <laughs> pardon the pun, a relic of the past. Um, another question that... Uh, we've gotten here, and, and this is one that I've addressed because it's my own particular specialty, and uh, apparently somebody heard one of the previous programs and wanted a little more elaboration on this, is what is geoarchaeology and how is it used in various archaeological projects? And this is from uh, Mr. Lee Malone, and if you're listening out there, I'll try to give you a little bit of information on that. Um, geoarchaeology is uh, sort of a prefix archaeology, if you will, and there's a lot of them. There's um ethnoarchaeology there's uh ethnobotanical archaeology there's a variety of different types of archaeology that focus on a specific method that's used in archaeological ex- excavation and exploration geoarchaeology effectively references the interaction between geography and geology and archaeology itself and and, and to be uh sort of less uh less esoteric about this, I would say that archaeology in general is important not so much because of what you find, but where you find it and what we call the context of those finds are. Once you remove an artifact from the ground, uh, its context or its place of origin uh, disappears. So that if somebody comes to you with a series of – in North America, let's say arrow points or – in in the old world or in, in Egypt a uh, statuary from from a pharaonic temple uh, that's that that has effectively lost the identity of of that artifact because the importance of the artifact is where it was found what it looked like when it was found and how carefully you have registered that information in geoarchaeology there is a, a more critical piece of information that you're going to get here and that is that the soil in which the artifacts are found because becomes very important because soil and sediment uh, or the dirt in which the uh, artifacts are found tells you a tremendous amount of the, about the environment in which these findings uh, are preserved. And when you know the environment in which they were preserved, you can also reconstruct the environments under which, under which they were deposited. And if you can do that... Then you can also get some inferences and make some, draw some conclusions about the climates in, in, in which, uh, the, the people who lived in those locations occurred. Now, traditionally, geoarchaeology has been applied to floodplains because floodplains are areas that are very fertile, very productive, and a lot of agricultural communities got started on floodplains. A classic example would be the Nile Valley in Egypt, which is where some of the earliest villages in, in, uh, in the Egyptian civilization uh, developed. And for those of you who are in North America, the major uh, river drainages... Of, of this country are also associated with some of the most critical cultures in the New World, and uh, one of the, the main ones, which should come as a surprise to no one, would be the Mississippi River. If you can understand the history of the Mississippi River, let's use this example, and you can understand that, that it's flowed in many different places in many different times, during different times, uh, you will see that there is a connection between where the river once flowed and where particular settlements uh, occur so that uh, and it's really quite quite straightforward the mississippian period for example which uh... flourished about a thousand years ago um, had an alignment of archaeological sites that was so specific that the geoarchaeologist is able to look at the alignment of these sites and get some hints as to where the river flowed at that time because the people tended to live along the banks of the river even though the flow lines of the river today are very different than they were in the past. So by looking at the alignment of the settlements at the particular time of occupation and we can get that information quite easily through pottery and radiocarbon dating, we can tell where the river flowed at given points of time, how it migrated and what, what what the environmental conditions were at the time, for example, rainfall and climate is very, very central to what happens in, in rivers and how the river flow lines move. And uh, these types of comprehensive pictures that link up human settlement patterns, ancient river flows and climate. Uh, which is related to rainfall, obviously, and and temperature, all these elements coming together are the purview of the geoarchaeologist. And if you, uh, you push this a little bit farther, you will see that understanding how these settlements aligned with particular streams and particular channels and how they were related to particular rainfall pattern are very, very critical in terms of trying to figure out, well, What's the climate going to be like? How is the Mississippi River going to change its flow lines uh, in the next uh, 100 years or 200 years? And they have critical implications for climate change and uh, understanding how to to plan for that. Um, The lessons are far and wide, and geoarchaeology is engaged with that type of study. Uh, The other type of... uh, implications of of geoarchaeology are to understand what types of activities people performed at particular locations. For example, early people performed a variety of of different kinds of activities that are registered in the archaeological record by fire pits. And by examining the content of those fire pits, you can effectively reconstruct what people ate um, through through the chemistry Of the residue of the residue in the soils in these pits, and so you take the soil and you analyze it for a variety of different type of chemicals. You match it up with certain foodstuffs, and in some cases you can actually identify seeds themselves, and you can identify the the diet. And, and, and the, uh, the types of activities, the burning patterns, the processing patterns, how meats were processed, what kind of meats they were, by looking at the dirt and by looking at the residue that surrounds the archaeological findings themselves. So, geoarchaeology is engaged in that kind of research. Um, as well as, as I said before, there are all sorts of other types of archaeologies, m- many of which are related to uh, various scientific elements of exploration. And they, uh, they provide you with the types of information and the ability to reconstruct environments and settings that uh, – we're, we're not even analogous to the environments of today. For example, you can identify seeds and you can ins- identify the re- residual of pollen uh, in certain locations that will enable you to reconstruct landscapes and forest types and uh, vegetation types that don't exist in the same area today. And as a result of that, you can sort of chronicle Patterns of landscape change and their relationship to how settlements and how people's, peoples settlements strategies changed because of environmental changes. So geoarchaeology uh- – Botanical archaeology, paleoethnobotany, as it's called, all those different types of archaeology provide you with clues as to the link between humans, environments, and the dynamic relationships between them that uh, facilitate a, a more comprehensive appreciation of why people moved around and what circumstances in many cases forced them to move from location to location. So geoarchaeology has obviously a tremendous amount of research potential for reconstructing the past and also I would argue a tremendous potential for projecting what the future is going to be like. So on that note, let's take another break and we'll return and answer a couple more questions as time permits.
2: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. Wellness Network.
1: Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile, Radio to thrive by.
2: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Listening to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-geoarc.com.
1: Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Uh, again this is a question and answer session for our program indiana jones myth reality and 21st century archaeology and a lot of our questions are coming from very curious listeners and uh, very sophisticated listeners who are asking a variety of questions that are polishing up my concerns certainly on uh, how to program the future shows for for this uh, show and 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 I'm really excited and again I I have I guess Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook and the folks at Twitter to thank for opening up this tremendous window and this tremendous exposure to a broader public uh, and I think it's only very beneficial for archaeology as as we develop and certainly towards the interests of this show which is aimed at uh, directing are focused to the to the public and trying to get input as well as to inform the public as to what archaeology does a question and I save this one for last because I think this is very very important and and I think uh, the public at large and to some degree the professional community as as well has to be very very concerned with this particular issue and the question goes like this and I don't have the author's name in front of me uh, what, the question goes, uh, what do you think the future is archaeo- of e- archaeology will be? Has the public interest, funding, and university support diminished? Uh, these are, cr- this is a critical issue here. Uh, I had referred to uh, the Indiana Jones situation and and, and the, the stimulus that the uh, glamorization, if you will, and the Hollywoodiana of archaeology has brought to the consciousness of archaeologists, and of course within the community, there was a lot of con- controversy about that. Was it unnecessarily glamorizing the profession? Uh, was it uh, was it a positive imp- influence? And of course, as I said before, I think it was very very positive. Uh, the positive outweighed the negative tremendously. And I also brought brought to people's attention the fact that the preservation ethic around the time that that movie came out, which the original film came out in 1984, I believe, or 1981, actually. And uh, the preservation ethic became a very, very significant component of archaeological work to the point where um, between 1981 and here we are 30 years later, uh, preservation archaeology was sort of a minor component of the archaeological landscape. I would say it probably accounted for 10, 15, maybe 20% of, of the archaeology that was done certainly here in North America. And to the point where now the proportions are completely the opposite. We are 80, maybe 90% based and funded on issues related or matters and compliance issues related to preservation and 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 uh, cultural resource compliance as we call it and maybe 20 and perhaps even less than 20 percent maybe 10 percent um, linked to actual academic instruction. Uh, the volume of work has skyrocketed. The amount of science and the sophistication of research that has been applied has zoomed because of of cultural resources and because of the fact that doing archaeology is no longer an option but it's a requirement under the law, certainly in North America and the United States, and in many, many other parts of the world, there is sort of—and there always has been—in in some countries a much more cognitive awareness and, 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 and a, a specificity of specificity of purpose to preserve these resources because they are finite. As a result of that, I think—and only because of that—the future of archaeology. On balance, would seem to be good because the situation in universities is not good. It's quite grim um, as budgets tighten and as funding for public education diminishes. Um, the the amount of money and, and the quantities and and the the, fo- the focus of, of pure science has diminished, and and as in many other fields, um, research is now conduct, conducted in applied venues. And that's a reality that I don't think is going to change very much. I mean, if there's going to be a surge in in, in academic archaeology or in, in pure research archaeology, it's only going to be fed because of uh, the needs to... Uh, develop more sophisticated strategies and technologies in the applied sector are putting pressure on the universities to train people differently. And the training of professional archaeology is moving in the direction of an applied venue. In other words, in addition to knowing the scientific aspects of of how to run an excavation and, and how to undertake analyses, you will also have to be very, very familiar with the law. You'll have to be very familiar with how to Apply the set of skills that you learn as an archaeologist in a venue that is not necessarily of your choosing, but which is sort of foisted upon you because um, you can't choose where you want to work anymore. You work where they tell you to work, and whether or not that's a good or bad thing is a is is a topic of of a different conversation. But the fact of the matter is that we are increasingly forced to work in archaeology where the development patterns are. In other words, if, if a highway is going through, that's where you're going to go do your research. Whereas years ago, you said, okay, uh, there's a prehistoric population, say, in Arizona with the Anasazi people. We knew that they, uh, that they lived in a certain landscape and that they uh, were associated with a certain type of drainage or major river. And if that river is not going to be impacted by a development, then you're not going to do that. You're not going to do that research. You're not going to get very much money to do it because the pure science foundations are suffering right now. And uh, on the other hand, if a large development is going up, in let's use the Arizona case in Phoenix, uh, then archaeology will be done there because it's the law. And to take that particular um, example a little bit farther, you will look at if you look at the development patterns and the demographic explosions in various parts of the United States, for just an example, you will see that population growth patterns are very well tied to progressive developments in archaeological exploration. The, uh, the development of an area promotes the application of more and more archaeological studies. It's just part of the development process and the regulatory process. Are we under threats right now? We certainly are um they we have been under threats ever since uh the regulatory process in cultural resource management has been under attack um by by various administrations by various pressures and uh, I'm not going to get into all the politics of that right now but certainly uh when there is a more favorable regulatory climate archaeology does well and I think uh we need to be aware of that uh one of the promos for this particular program was that Archaeology in many, many cases is being funded by the oil and gas industry. Now, the oil and gas industry, uh, is looked on as a three-headed monster in many cases, but, uh, certainly in terms of, of doing archaeology, they have contributed a, trem- a tremendous amount of money and, uh, in, interest in undertaking that, I don't know that they've gotten necessarily the credit that they deserve for, for having powered that information and for p- having powered that p- particular direction for archaeological exploration, but that's how it's going. And um, the, these are the types of interests that uh, are going to be the backbone of archaeological research and archaeological funding, and uh, the more we come to grips with that, the more we understand that this is the way of the future, then the better off we are because we're starting to develop increasingly more refined strategies for undertaking archaeology as time goes along. Fortunately, sophisticated methods are compensating for the absence of extensive properties to do archaeological work in. In other words, if you are asked to produce an archaeological excavation in a certain location where, for example, the circumstances for doing that work are not that good, you have to do it. And as a result of that, you made the adjustments to do it. For example, I work uh, a lot in New York City and uh, doing subsurface exploration in New York City is an extremely expensive and difficult undertaking. On the other hand, the methods that we have right now, for gleaning tremendous amounts of archaeological and, as I said before, environmental information from, uh, even urban areas is, is tremendous. I mean, we have, we have analytical tools that we never had before. And as a result of that, uh, with remote sensing studies, with uh, geographic information systems that ena- enable us to reconstruct ancient environments and ancient scenarios coupled with, uh, refined studies of, uh, uh, I've tra- traditional su- studies in the case of, of urban environments looking at historic records and uh, looking at accounts that, that uh, the early Dutch and the early English settlers had uh, documented in, in, in scrupulous detail. We are able to combine contemporary sophisticated methodologies with traditional sources, maps for example, and we can put together – uh reconstructions that would have been impossible years ago. And that is how this archaeology is going to be done. We're not going to be digging holes at infinitum the way we used to. I mean we used to simply uh wherever you wanted to dig something, you just sort of got your permit, you went out to the field, you put in holes, as many, not as many as you want. Certainly there were funding limitations even at that time, but you were able to do it, and now you can't do that anymore. And uh, whether or not you th- agree with that or disagree with that, that's that's immaterial, but the fact of the matter is that those are the restrictions that are being placed. I think that scientific expansion and academic expansion in archaeology will be powered by the demand. And the demand for archaeology will only increase with development. And as a result, you're going to have this symbiotic relationship between academic institutions and applied venues. And I think that all is not lost and all is not glum. I think we're looking at archaeological models for doing, and the models for doing this work that, that will be new and, and, and they will require a tremendous amount of cooperation between uh, between various agencies, regulatory agencies, universities, and development interests, and, and and one of the key issues here, of course, is going to be communication. And as a result of the information technology explosion, I think we are also entering a new phase in which we will be able to spread the message of archaeology, hopefully through this show and others, that uh, we can raise archaeological consciousness and and, and we can. Uh, apply our lessons and uh, promote our our lessons to audiences that formerly would have been close to this and not necessarily interested i mean building developers would not normally be especially excited about uh doing archaeology now they have to be pretty pretty aware of it and on the positive side as well they're starting to understand the public relations, benefits of doing this stuff because archaeology always sends a favorable message and whenever you talk about what you do as an archaeologist people light up, I mean, you do well at parties and, and, and part of that of course is also um presenting a very positive message to people so that we're seeing uh, a spirit of cooperation now between developers and and and, and financial interests in many cases and archaeology and and this is a climate that I think we need to cultivate and a climate that i think ultimately will produce better and better archaeology more and more research and a better understanding of of the human condition i think as we move along and as 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 as, as time goes on so i think the message is by and large positive but i think the models that we have for how we do this type of undertaking and, and, and how we're going to promote our field in the future that's changing and uh, as I said uh, we were originally originally pretty discouraged about these developments but now we're starting to see that um, that we're all in, in this together and that development and regulation go hand in hand and that these don't have to be conflicting because uh, people are starting to understand what the positive messages are and what the public relation potential of all of this is and hopefully, we will be able to promote this way of thinking in the future. And on that note, I think we're going to have to close this episode. I was very happy to get these messages from our listenership. And I want to encourage all of you to get on Facebook and to um, provide some feedback because we're really interested in getting your input more than anything else so that we can know what you would like to learn about or what your interests are and I can communicate that information to everyone. Uh, so thanks very much for listening. Uh, I will remind you as I do always that your understanding of the past is a guide to a more promising tomorrow and we will see you next time. Thanks so much for listening. Good night.
0: Thanks again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow.